It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Fun crazy, not creepy crazy, on The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Toys, movies, comics, and so much more. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And the more that you listen, the more that you know. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Welcome to the Riley and Kimmy Show. Ray Milan, Golden Age of Radio Tribute. Actor Ray Milan died on this date, March 10th, 1986. He passed away at the age of 79. He was at one time one of Paramount Pictures' highest paid actors. He won the Best Actor Academy Award for The Lost Weekend in 1945. On this podcast, we have two Golden Age of Radio Productions Ray Milland starred in back-to-back without any interruptions. After the tribute, please visit our website for other Golden Age of Radio tributes and our daily podcasts that include conversations about nostalgia and retro topics with trivia. Please like our Facebook page and share with your friends. Our daily podcasts are available via iHeartRadio, iTunes, SoundCloud, and on our website and Facebook page. We start off this tribute with Ray Milland in The Unforgiven from 1949, followed by Night Cry from 1948. I woke up, five in the morning, my skin creeping, my scalp crawling. I listened. I heard the dim surge of the ocean at the foot of the Devonshire Cliffs, not far from my window. Only five o'clock. And then... I was sure now. I hadn't dreamed of appalling crying. Could it be my sister Pamela in the next bedroom? There was no electricity in this old house. I I lit a candle. I went to the door leading into the upstairs hallway. What? Oh, Oh, Pamela. You heard it too, then. What in heaven's name is it? I don't know. It comes from downstairs. It comes from everywhere and nowhere. I'm going down and search the place. It's no use, Rick. There's never anything there. You mean this has happened before? All the time you were still in London while I was getting the house ready for us to live in. Why didn't you call me or write me about it? It's our home now. It's all we've got to live in. 
sounds so terribly heartbroken. But there, there must be some logical explanation. It'll stop soon now. It always dies away at dawn. No wonder we got the old place for such a low price. They tell me it stood empty for ten years before... Oh. Oh. Shut up, Lee open. It's the dawn breeze. I must have forgotten to latch up. Listen. I know. The sobbing is gone. Oh. Is that all for tonight? Is that all? It's every night, Rick. And if I don't get some sleep, I'll die. No, no, no. Don't do that. It'll be different tomorrow night. You'll see. Hello. Aren't you the gentleman who bought this house for my grandfather? Why, yes. Good evening. <laughs> good evening. I'm Stella Meredith. It was my mother's house. Well, come in, Stella Meredith. Thank you. I haven't been in this house since I was three. And I've wanted to come so many times. Then why didn't you? Oh, my, my grandfather forbids it. He has some silly idea that I'm in danger. Nonsense. You shall see the house, Stella Meredith, and I shall be your guide. This is my old nursery. Like it? Oh, how pretty your sister has made it. That's very pretty perfume you're wearing. It's mimosa. Do you like it? Oh, very much. My mother always used mimosa. She died when I was three years old. Oh. May I see the studio now where my father painted? Only it's the studio where I play the piano now. You may even persuade me to play something for you. Don't stop playing, please. Very flattering, thank you. Father painted my mother's picture in this very room. You don't remember that. No, but Mother would sit on this platform wearing her soft white dress. Sometimes, of course, he'd paint the other one. Other one? He had a model, you know, a Spanish girl. People seem to get awfully hush-hush when I try to ask about her, though. You played beautifully. It's a serenade to Stella by Starlight. You mean this Stella? Me? And this candlelight. Oh, it's the most exciting thing that has ever happened to me. Is it? Y yes, What's the matter? All at once, a, a cold wind. Yes, suddenly it is cold in this room. And your music's gone so terribly sad. Why? I don't know. It just came out that way. And the candles grew dim. There's a draught. Oh, Mother was so young and beautiful and she died so cruelly. Mother! Stella! Mother! Mother! Stella, Stella come back! Stella! gathered my scattered senses and jumped up and ran after her. I passed Pamela, standing amazed at the foot of the stairs. Rick, what's the matter? What's happened? There's something evil in her. Stella! 
But she was out the front door, her dark hair flying, running wildly in the darkness, heading for the cliffs. Stella! I shouted after her. Stella, come back! Shouted again, pleading with her. No, Stella, no! The cliffs, I thought. Stella, the cliffs! The cliffs and the boiling sea beneath. Stella! Whatever sinister force had driven her out of the house was now driving her to destruction on those killing rocks. The brink was only yards away, a few steps. I reached for her and my fingers caught in her belt and I pulled her back. Back from the very edge of that awful precipice. Stella. What's the matter? Matter? You were going over the edge. Was I? Why did you do it, Stella? What drove you toward death? Death? Why, nothing. I I didn't feel I was in any danger. Look below you. Oh, the sea. Yes. This is where my mother fell. Your mother fell here? By this dead tree. She, she... Are you all right? Help me. Stella. Will she be all right, Dr. Scott? She's resting nicely upstairs, Miss Pamela. Well, is Stella entirely safe up there alone? Why not? Well, in the light of what just happened. And you're the one who sneers when I say this house is haunted. And everybody in the village knows the house is peculiar. Well, can you tell us anything about it, Doctor? Do you know about Carmel? Carmel? The Spanish model Stella's father painted. Oh, yes. Stella's father was in love with Carmel. It was an open scandal. But didn't Mrs. Meredith know about it? I suppose she just accepted the situation. Where's this Carmel now? She died in this very house a week after Mary Meredith fell to her death from the cliff out there. Oh, she did fall then. Ironically, she fell trying to save her rival from committing suicide. Or so they say. Rick, Dr. Scott, don't you notice a scent in the room? No. Yes, I do. Yes. It's heliotrope. No, it's mimosa. Stella's mother was fond of it. Stella tells me that... Pam, it's come back. What, Rick? Upstairs. Stella's not alone anymore. I know it. Come on. Stella. Stella, are you all right? She's gone. I'm here. Stella, darling. At the window. Now, don't be frightened. I'm not frightened. Don't you know who it is in your house? It's my mother. Your mother? Did you see her? No. But when I woke up, I... I felt her in the room. Her scent, the mimosa, it was all around. I could feel her warm presence everywhere. And I felt something else. Something I've never known in my whole life. The knowledge that someone loved me very dearly. You'd better take her home, Rick. No. No, Mother is here. She wants me with her. Your mother is dead, Stella. I know. But your grandfather will miss you. He'll be furious if he finds you here. I know, but I love it here. I'll always come back. Another time, Stella. Another time. again. Her grandfather was right. There was danger in this house for Stella. In the studio, when we'd first felt its presence, I'd not smelled mimosa. 
But in that moment before dawn, with that awful sorrow in the house, I suddenly knew. I knew that there was a cold, cruel spirit which hated Stella, and a warm, scented spirit that loved her. There was not one ghost. You are listening to the Screen Director's Playhouse presentation of The Uninvited, starring Ray Milland in his original role of Rick Fitzgerald. Pamela, I know this. Stella Meredith is in danger in this house. She mustn't come here anymore. But she loves it, Rick. How can we possibly keep her away? By holding a seance. A seance? Only this seance will be rigged. We've got to fix it so that the ghost of Mary Meredith appears to say, in effect, Stella, I'm your mother. Forget Windward House and I shall find peace and happiness. P.S. There is a tall, excruciatingly handsome man named Rick Fitzgerald who wants to marry you. It's wrong, Rick. I won't agree to deceiving Stella. We've got to break Stella this attachment to the dead. We'll rig the seance. That very night, we held the seance. We all sat around a table. Stella, Pam, Dr. Scott, and I. A single candle was burning... On the table, I chalked the alphabet in a big circle and the words, yes and no, opposite each other. An inverted wine glass stood in the center of the table. My stage was set. I think the room is dark enough to begin. The important thing is that we should all believe. Yes, yes, so I understand. Well, what now? Everybody puts a finger on the glass. Now, ask a question, Stella. Is there anybody here... Is anybody... The glass is moving. Yes. The glass is on, yes. Go on, Stella. Are you my mother? Yes. You don't want me to go away from Winwood House, do you, Mother? They want me to stay away. Do you? Rick, let go. You're keeping the glass from moving. I'm not. Let go, I say. You better let matters take their course, Mr. All right. No. You see? She said no. She doesn't want me to stay away. Look, look, the glass is moving. I. G. U. A. God. I guard. Guard me from what, Father? What? C-A-R-M- Carmel. That's enough. Who smashed the glass against the wall? You, Pamela? No one, Rick. No one was touching it. Stella. Stella. Stella's in a trance. Stella. Don't touch her. It may be dangerous. May I ask a question? No. It might help to try to reach her mind... Yes, try it. Whoever you are, are you Mary Meredith, Stella's mother? (laughs) 
es ella, no es ella. No le cree nada. No le haga caso, ella está mintiendo. Oh, this is awful. I won't ask her anything else. Es ladrón. Ladrón de mi cariño. Is that Spanish, Scott? I, uh, I don't know. Ladrón de mi cariño. Stella. She's fainted. I'm afraid this has all been a dreadful mistake. Oh, it was wrong. But she'll never be cured until this house is cured. Until then, Stella must never come here again. I won't answer it. I'll answer it. I'll go. It was Stella's grandfather in a cold, bitter fury over her presence there and her condition. An outrage, you hear? An outrage. I'm very sorry, sir. It won't happen again. I warrant you it won't. My granddaughter will never enter this house again if I have to lock her up somewhere. Come, Stella. Stella was gone, but my work had just begun. I had to avert a tragedy. I had to solve the mystery of Windward House, but, but where to start? I went to see Dr. Scott. Any luck, Fitzgerald? Find anyone with a clue to what really happened here 17 years ago? No. Everyone who was here with the Meredith then seems to be dead. A trained nurse, isn't Trained nurse? I've been looking through the old case book of my predecessor, Dr. Rudd. Oh? No. At the time of the tragedy, the Merediths employed a nurse for their child, a certain Miss Holloway. Holloway? Very, very much attached to Mary Meredith. Well, is she alive? How can we find her? She runs a place on Bodwin Moor called the Mary Meredith Retreat in honor of her long dead mistress. Hospital? No, no, a mental institution. Strange woman, strange place. Bodwin Moore. I think I'd better have a serious talk with Miss Holliday. I shall be happy, Mr. Fitzgerald, to assist in any way I can concerning these manifestations at Windward House. Well, to begin with, Miss Holloway, I know about the Meredith, uh, Mary Meredith Carmel Triangle 17 years ago. Yes, it was the delight of the local gossips. What were Mary and Carmel like? Extraordinary women, both of them. But Mary Meredith, she was a goddess. Even her talk was lovely and sparkling. Oh, the night we sat before her fireplace, planning our lives. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She met her humiliation and her fate magnificently. Uh, about Carmel. A Spanish gypsy. Beautiful and crafty and cruel. Why did Mrs. Meredith stand for the situation? She felt the decision to end it must come from her husband. Did it? Finally. To make it easier for Carmel, they took her to Paris. Found a position for her and left her there. Then they came back here with their infant daughter. For a while, they were almost happy together. Then? Carmel came back. She still wanted Mary's husband. Then one stormy night, Carmel had been told that she must leave. This time for good. Oh, there was a ghastly scene. And finally, Carmel, in a rage for revenge, ran to the child's room and snatched her up and ran toward the cliff. Mary raced after her. In the struggle, Mary fell to the rocks below. The baby was unharmed. What happened to Carmel? She escaped in the storm. Next morning, she crawled back in the early stages of pneumonia. I had to nurse her. I see. And now, please, 
I must be alone. Please. Tell me about Miss Holloway is very interesting, Fitzgerald. A fanatical and dedicated woman, Doctor. Uh, Dr. Rudd, before me, disliked her intensely. Professionally? Personally? How? Listen to this entry from Dr. Rudd's casebook for December 10th, 1932. Called to Windward House, Meredith's model, Carmel Quesada, double pneumonia. That tallies with what Miss Holloway told me. December 12th, Carmel Quesada, much worse. No attempt to warm her room. Found traces of snow in her bedroom. Snow? Spoke severely to Nurse Holloway. Absolutely criminal negligence. Well, isn't that a pretty serious charge, Doctor? When a man of Dr. Rudd's generation used it, it was very apt to mean murder. Miss Holloway murdered Carmel? She was very fond of Mary Meredith. Perhaps that's why Stella's grandfather sent her to Miss Holloway's for safekeeping this afternoon. You mean... You mean Stella's there now, in that genteel madhouse? Well, I venture she's safe with her mother's dearest friend. Who was also guilty of criminal negligence? Oh, no. Dr. Scott, I must hurry. Be good enough to call my sister Pamela at Windward House. Say I'll pick her up in 15 minutes and call Miss Holloway, will you? Tell her to expect us. I'm on my way. Miss Holloway, when I was here before, why didn't you tell me that Stella was here, too? The presence of our guests is confidential. Please take us to her at once. She's no longer here. I sent her away when Dr. Scott called to say you'd be here. But why? She was the happiest person in the world when I told her she might return to Windward House. Windward House? But her grandfather sent her here to keep her away from Windward House. She loves it so. You knew we'd be away and you sent her there? Mary will be there. Oh, you hate Stella. You sent her to her death. Mary is waiting for Stella. You're insane. Hurry, Pam. It may be too late even now. drove headlong through the rain, racing the train to Windward House. We arrived in the early hours of the morning. The house was dark. We were on time. Stella hadn't arrived yet. And then, from the inside of the house... It's Stella! The front door flew open and Stella ran out, screaming fearfully, running for the cliffs. Stella! Come back! Something she'd seen or heard or felt in that horribly sick house of ours was sending her screaming in the darkness toward the windy cliffs. I ran after her, but she was very young and lithe and driven by fear and drawn by demons, and I overtook her slowly, oh, so very slowly, as in a terrible nightmare. And at the very brink of the cliffs, I dove for her and flung her to the ground, the very brink of death, the very edge of darkness. Stella, you'll be fine. Dr. Scott, Rick, why would my own mother want to drive me to my death? Darling, whatever drove you from this house couldn't have been your mother. But it was. I, I saw her. It was a kind of a mist that glowed softly in the dark, coming toward me, just as my father painted her. And why did you run away? I, I don't know. Something terrified me, drew me to the cliff. Um... Uh, could the company endure one more excerpt from the casebook of Dr. Rudd? It's rather worthwhile. You've the air of a man with knowledge, Scott. <laughs> this entry is dated a little more than three years before the final tragedy on the cliff. Meredith Consultation, my office. 
Mrs. Meredith, afraid she is going to have a child, assured her she was not. A strange, cold, loveless woman refusing motherhood. But... Meredith, poor man, wanting a child so desperately. But they're still... Now, now, listen. An extraordinary household. Carmel, the Spanish girl, worships Meredith. Lovely, pitiful creature, all love and womanhood. Pitiful? What does it all mean? I, I don't understand. Stella, where were you born? In Paris. Where they took Carmel. They came back with their baby, or, or at any rate, someone's baby. Rick. The Meredith stayed in Paris for a baby to be born, yes. But I think to Carmel, not Mary. They took the baby as their own to avoid a scandal. That's why Carmel came back, to be near her baby, near Stella. Then it was Mary Meredith who hated Stella, her rival's child. Mary Meredith, who tried to throw the baby from the cliff and fell to her death. And that's what Carmel waited here to tell me all these years. That she was my mother, not Mary Meredith. I'm Carmel's daughter. Rick, the mimosa. She's here. Oh, mother, mother, never weep again. Because now I know. Never cry again in this house where, where father loved you. Carmel. Mother. <laughs> She's happy. Mother's happy. She's at peace at last. Rick, look. That's the mist I saw. Mary Meredith. Dr. Scott, Pamela, get Stella out of here. I was alone. Alone with the thing that drifted and floated in menacing, gesturing filaments in the open French doors. A luminous mist becoming a face that undulated horribly. A face filled with hatred and malevolence. And I lifted the candelabrum with its flickering, guttering candles... Come on, you icy fraud. If it's Stella you want, you're too late, Mary Meredith. You've tried enough to destroy Carmel's child. So much for the legend of your saintliness. And you can go along with it. Rick. Here, darling. Are you all right? All right? I am magnificent. It's so dark, darling. Never brighter. Mary Meredith? Gone forever. And I always thought she was my mother. What? Good saints preserve me from ghosties and ghoulies and long-legged beasties and a future mother-in-law like that. Ray Milland will return in just a moment. Now, here again is tonight's star, Ray Milland. Thank you. The film version of The Uninvited was distinguished by ghosts, gasps, moans, groans, and a very brilliant gent named Lewis Allen. Lou directed the picture, furnishing the assorted horrors out of his bag of tricks. 
Since then, we've done three other films together, and his amazing know-how still has me fascinated. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to meet him. My director, Lewis Allen. I hardly think I deserve those compliments. Why not? Well, The Uninvited was the first picture I ever directed. But, Lou, you'd been directing stage plays for years. But when I sat behind those cameras for the first time, I was as scared as the audiences who saw the picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you feel about cameras after all the pictures you've made since then? They still scare me. You know what? What? They scare me, too. <laughs> well, at least we weren't scared of the ghosts and The Uninvited. You know, Lou, you made everything so real for a while, I almost believed in them myself. But, Ray, there's no such thing as ghosts. <laughs> Lou. Yes, Ray? What did you just say about ghosts? I'd rather not talk about it. Good night, Ray. Good night, Lou. Good night, everyone. The Uninvited was presented through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, whose current release is the William Wyler production, The Heiress, starring Olivia de Havilland, Montgomery Clift, and Ralph Richardson. Ray Milland will soon be seen in the Paramount picture, Copper Canyon. Lewis Allen's current production for Paramount is Chicago Deadline. Included in tonight's cast were Alma Lawton as Stella, Norman Field, Mary Shipp, John Daner, Georgia Backus, June Foray, and Dan Riss. The Uninvited was adapted for radio by Milton Geiger, and original music was composed and conducted by Henry Russell. Screen Director's Playhouse is produced by Howard Riley, with dramatic direction by Bill Karn. Portions of the program were transcribed. Suspense. Radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Starring tonight, Mr. Ray Milland in Anton Leder's production of Night Cry by William L. Stewart. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Report to the captain of the Homicide Bureau, Manhattan. From Detective Lieutenant Mark Deglin. You know, we always say that the cat waits for the mouse to run, the dog waits for the cat to run, and the police wait for the killer to run. But if he's a smart killer, a real smart guy, if he doesn't run at all but just stands and laughs, or even walks quietly and easily away, he can really get away with murder. There's a lot of murder around Homicide Squad beside the stiffs we work on. Like the knifing I got when they passed me up and made you, Lieutenant Knight, an acting captain and head of the squad. Funny how a little promotion goes to a guy's head. It was Friday that you got your promotion, and that evening, after you'd sent for me, I had to warm a chair outside until you were ready to see me. Remember? Captain Knight will see you now, Lieutenant. Well, that's sweet of him.
Come on over and have a chat, Eklund. Uh, Mark? Sure. Why not? Congratulations, Captain Knight. Uh, that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, Mark. You know, I didn't want this. I didn't do anything to get it. Sure. Of course, playing golf with the commissioner's brother-in-law had nothing to do with it. You know it didn't, Mark. The force isn't run that way. Now, look, I've worked with you for a long time, and there's no reason why we can't get along fine. Sure, no reason. I'm the first to say that you're the best man on homicide, Mark. And, well, it's not my place to tell you, but I think you ought to know the reason why you didn't get the promotion instead of me. I'm listening. You know, Mark, the police department has come a long way from what it used to be. And take homicide. It's no longer a question of one man going out and sapping some poor devil until he gets a confession. All of us, detectives, identification, lab men, telegraph, the medical examiner's office, we're all one big team. You know, that sounds like the commissioner's number two speech for the Rotarians. But it's true, Mark. And that's why the police board didn't give you this job. In an age of cooperation, you're still a one-man force. How many killers did I bring in during the last five years? Everyone you went after. I know that, and so does the police board. But a lot of them had marks on them that they didn't have before you went after them. And some of them had to be carried in. Sure, but I got them, and quick. Some of them I even had booked before that team you mentioned got around to deciding what killed the victims. I know that, but there's always a chance that the next time you'll bring in some guy who had nothing to do with it. Yes? He's on his way. It's a call. Now, you and Riley will take it. Now, look, Mark. Yeah? Riley's a good teammate for you. He's proud of the force, you know, and he'll be just as proud of your work as his own. And we'll talk about this later. Sure. After I bring in another killer. Where's the killing, Riley? In the 70s, near Riverside, gambling joint. Some guy rolled a seven the wrong way? Yeah, could be. Uh, say, uh, Mark, I was sorry to hear about ah, the... Ah, forget uh... about it, Dan. If I'd wanted a desk job, I wouldn't be a cop. I'd rather bring them in than look at them after they're brought in. Come on, let's go. And for a minute, I didn't mind not getting the captaincy. There was something about being on a job, about starting out to look for a killer that beat anything in the world. We got to the big brownstone that was the gambling joint. Riley and I walked up the front stairs through the rain. The patrolman on the door let us in. There were three guys in the foyer. One of them was a good-looking guy in a dinner jacket, with a look in his eye that probably came from watching a lot of guys try to make a four the hard way. The second was a patrolman, still writing in his notebook. And the third was a guy on the floor, dead. He was partly on his side, and there was a knife in his back. He was wearing a suit that had cost plenty before he spoiled it by bleeding all over it. The patrolman saluted as we came up. Corcoran, sir, the doorman called me off the beat. The dead man's name is L. O. Morrison. Uh, Mr. Karlstrom here is the owner of the club, and he says... Save it, Cork, until we ask for it. Yes, sir. What do you think, Riley? Mm, he's dead, all right. Well, take another look at that stiff. Hmm? He's got a fresh cut over one eye, which he must have gotten before he was killed. Yeah, you're right. It wouldn't be that bruised if he got it when he was killed. Well, let's find out how he got it. All right, you. Yes, Inspector? Not Inspector, Lieutenant. Lieutenant Deglin. Oh, yes, I've heard of you, Lieutenant Deglin. Well, stick around and get some first-hand knowledge. What kind of a joint is this? Well, uh, this is a private club. The members have their own keys and let themselves. Oh, a key club, huh? Yes, that's right. Who'd the dead man have a fight with? Well, 
I don't like to say this, but he had a fight with Kendall Payne. I asked Mr. Payne to leave. Kendall Payne? Uh, isn't that the guy who was a war hero? Yes, that's right. War hero, huh? And he's still fighting the war. Well, having a key could come back after you threw him out. Yes, he could have come back. Was he alone? No, uh, Miss Morgan Taylor was with him. Where does Payne live? Well, I... Uh, here's his address book, Lieutenant. Payne is in here. Thanks. Okay, Dan, you can finish up here. I think I'll look up this war hero. Well, uh, Mark, don't you think you ought to wait for the medical examiner and the ID boys to arrive? Why? I don't need the M.E. to tell me this guy is dead, no identification to tell me he had a fight with Payne. This murder is tailor-made, and I'm going down and try Payne on for size. <laughs> a short street just off the Hudson River where a lot of artists and duck wallopers lived. There was a dim light in the hall and I went up the stairs. Light spilled out from under the door that had Payne's name on it and I knocked. All right, it's open. He was sitting on the bed. He had an army kit bag open and partly packed. There was a white bandage over his right eye and the drawers of the bureau were open. Now, what do you want? Little talk. Your name Payne? Yeah. But you're not anyone I know. Beat it. We'll get acquainted. This uh, badge will introduce us. You know what you can do with that badge. You know, I almost forgot you were a hero. How long you been here, hero? Maybe an hour and I go on. Get out. How'd you get to be a hero, Payne? With a knife? Look, I don't know you or your badge. Now go on, get out. You're a tough little punk, aren't you, hero? Especially tough for a boy who just killed a man. What, what are you talking about? Where's the dame you're with? Maybe she can tell you about the guy you had a fight with, then went back and killed. Look, you keep her out of... Look, Sonny, you were maybe tough overseas, but back here you're just another meatball. Now talk. What are you, a tough cop? Well, let's see. How tough? Sure, I'm a tough cop. I hit him three times. No more than that. He fell. His head hit in the edge of the bed, then he slumped to the floor. His breathing was heavy for a minute, and then it... And it stopped. I stood looking at him, rubbing my knuckles. Then I reached down and felt his wrist. He was dead. Well, there was another trial the taxpayers wouldn't have to pay for. I got up, went to the phone I'd seen in the hall. Deglin here. Look, I just... Oh, uh... wait a minute, Mark. Hey, close that door, will you? Now that the case is broken, Mark, they're talking their heads off. Case is broken? Yeah, it was Carlstrom. He got panicky and started to run. You know, Riley, when they run, he shoots. He nailed him in the shoulder, and Carlstrom thought he was going to die and confessed. The dead man was into the gambling house for 50 grand and wouldn't pay, so Carlstrom stuck the knife into him. Hello? You still on? Yeah. I, I, I just dropped some change... Did you find pain? I... I think he's cleared out. Clothes and the bathroom stuff's all gone. He has? Well, he probably saw something. He didn't want to get mixed up in it. Well, we can always put out an alarm on him. Go home and get some sleep, Mark. Sure. I'll, I'll get some sleep. While well, I hung on, hung up, walked back to Payne's room. I looked down at him. Thought what a lousy time to make a mistake. Well, there's only one smart way out. I had to bring Candle Payne back to life long enough to be seen taking a run-out powder. I needed some good, reliable witnesses. That way, I could get away with murder. 
As I said before, Captain Knight, the cat waits for the mouse to run, the dog waits for the cat to run, and the police wait for the killer to run. Only I wasn't going to run. I stood there and tried to figure how to have Candle Payne seen running away. After that, Payne would be just another guy who got scared and beat it. And I'd still be Lieutenant Mark Deglin, the guy who didn't make mistakes. It took me a while, in the night and the rain, to do what I had to do. Quite a while. But I finally got to my own apartment. I still had Payne's kit bag with his name stenciled on the side, but I could get rid of that later. I tossed it on the floor behind my desk and went to sleep. When I got to headquarters the next morning, it was late. Payne's disappearance had the DA demanding we find him. Dan Riley was already out trying to trace Payne, and I could just imagine him bulldogging along from one witness to another. And then you said... Suppose you go up to Connecticut, Mark, and talk to Payne's girl, Morgan Taylor. Just routine. Just routine? Okay, I'll take care of it. I found where Morgan Taylor lived from the Greenwich Post Office. It was a low, rambling white house set back from a tree-lined road. The girl who answered my ring had dark hair that came down around her shoulders and wide gray eyes that were sure and young and lovely. Yes? You Miss Morgan Taylor? Yes, I am. I'm Lieutenant Mark Deglin of the New York Police. Oh? You know where I can find Kendall Payne? Oh, the silly fool. He said something about leaving last night, but I thought he was just being dramatic. When was this? Well, I... I went down to his place with him last night after we left the gambling club. I've been seeing a lot of Ken, but I just couldn't keep on. He was always getting into fights and picking arguments. So I told him I wouldn't see him anymore. That's when he said he'd leave. And that's the last time you saw him? Yes. But there's something else. Well, yes. It wasn't time for my train yet, so I walked around in the rain. Then I remembered that I had a date to meet Ken in town tonight, and I went back to tell him I wouldn't be there. But he wasn't in his room. I had no idea he'd really left. You think you might have gone back to the gambling club? Why do you ask that? Well, after you left the club last night, a man was killed. The man Payne had a fight with. And you think he ran away because of that? He might have. Ken was, well, pretty neurotic. You in love with him? Oh, I'm very fond of Ken. But that's all, Lieutenant. But I'd hate to think that anything happened to him. You've no idea where he is now. If you'll wait a minute, I'll go with you. I was just getting ready to leave myself. He might show up to keep that date with me tonight at Morney's on Bleecker Street. We can wait for him there. She rode back to New York with me. And after the first few miles, we stopped talking about Candle Payne and talked about ourselves. She was really a beautiful gal. I kept glancing sideways at her profile. Maybe this case was going to turn out better than I thought. When we hit town, I called you, Captain Knight. Remember? I was doing, not, not mentioning what nice work it was turning into. And then Morgan and I went on to the restaurant. Since then, I've just played around, I guess. I know what you mean. Look, it's past eight, uh, Morgan. Uh, 
What time was Payne supposed to meet you? Seven? Yes. It looks as though I've been stood up. Well, he must be pretty scared to stand you up. If it were me, I'd risk even a murder after keep the date. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Want to take me to dinner? Well, it's a good thing you asked me. I was just about to put my handcuffs on you so you couldn't get away. <laughs> <laughs> I got into headquarters early next day. I just finished calling Morgan to say good morning. I'll make a date for that night. And the desk sergeant said that you wanted to see me. I went in and Riley was with you. Well, we got a couple of things on pain, Mark. We wanted you in on them. Sure. Dan, that was a nice job on Karlstrom. Mm -hmm. He was certainly a scared guy. You know, one thing about killers, they always make a break for it sooner or later. Yeah, most of them do. What's doing on pain, Knight? I'll let Riley tell it. It's his story. Uh, there's nothing much except I talked to a number of people who think they saw him. I got a couple of them outside. Might as well bring them in, Riley. Yeah, okay. Morning, Gold. Sure. This is Captain Knight and Lieutenant Gold? Teglin. Gold. Mr. I... Gold is a cab driver. He got out of bed to come down and help us. Hey, sure, Chief. Anything to help you guys out. Okay. Gold, tell him the story you told me. Yeah, sure. Well, like I said, I pick up this fare downtown last night about one o'clock big guy with a bandage over one eye. He's carrying one of those soldier kit bags, you know? Wanted to go to the station, Grand Central. Was in a bad temper. Now, take a look at these pictures. Uh, now, where did I put that other... Oh, here it is. Uh, well, uh, it might have been either one of these two. They, they, they look a little alike. Without the bandage, I couldn't swear which one. Okay, thanks, Gold. If we need you later, we'll call on you. Uh, sure, sure. Anytime, Chief. Anytime at all. Well, pretty close. One of the two was a picture of Payne. Who was the other one he thought looked like Payne? An old newspaper picture of you, Mark. Me? Yeah. You didn't know I collected all your publicity, did you? <laughs> It'd been funny if he just identified you. Yeah. Yeah, very funny. Who's your other witness, Riley? An old lady who lives in the house across the street from Payne's place. Will you come in now, Miss Meacham? Meacham, this is Captain Knight. How do you do, Mr. How Meacham? do you do? This is Lieutenant Teglin. Uh, this is Meacham, Mark. I've seen you, Lieutenant. You have? Oh, yes. Oh, well, maybe it was when I was over to Payne's the other night, huh? Oh, no, I didn't mean there. In the papers. Oh. Your picture's been in the papers a lot. Yeah, I guess it has. Uh, Mrs. Meacham, Detective Riley tells me that you saw several things the other night, things that puzzled you. They certainly did puzzle me, Captain. You see quite a few things in the neighborhood, Mrs. Meacham? Well, some say that's all I do. Well, I say when a body gets old like me, there ain't much left but looking. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Now, what did you see the other night, Mrs. Meacham? Let's see. Oh, that was night before last. Well, like I told Mr. Riley, I couldn't sleep. So I was up late, and I saw Mr. Payne and his girl go in. But I didn't see her come out. You didn't see her come out? I made tea. Uh, might have missed her. I have to have my tea, you know. But I did see her go back in later. How much later? Oh, maybe half an hour. Uh, maybe more. But before she came back, somebody else left. Well, that must have been Payne. Well, I don't rightly know. He was wearing a bandage and was carrying his kit bag, but he didn't wave to me. Didn't wave to you? Oh, Mr. Payne always waved to me when he went out. So it was mighty funny he didn't that time. Well, maybe he just forgot. What happened after that? No, sir, he never forgot to wave. Oh, well, anyway, about 20 minutes later... 
Mr. Payne's girl came back. She stayed just a little while and then went away. That's very interesting, Mrs. Meacham. Is that all? Of course it is. And that was a lot for a neighborhood where nothing ever happened. Well, thank you very much, Mrs. Meacham. We'll call you if we need to talk to you again. Well, I won't remember any more than I have. Well, let's go, boys. Where are we going? I've been behind this desk so long, Mark, I'm getting calluses. I'm going over to Payne's room with you and Riley. The room was as I remembered it. Except there wasn't any body on the floor and the police technicians were there. Now, let's see now. The old lady says she saw the girl come in twice, but never saw her go out. Any other way out of here, Riley? Through the window. Let's take a look. You men through with this window? Yeah, all through, Captain. Found plenty of prints of some guy, probably this pain. A few prints of a small man or woman. Uh-huh. Let's look at this window. I stood watching. They weren't going to find anything looking out of the window. Maybe they'd see the pry marks in the wood and find the satchweights were missing. But that wouldn't mean a thing. Suddenly, Riley let go of the window and... Hey, watch watch it. it! It almost took my fingers off. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Hey, Al. The sash cords have been cut and the sash weights are missing. So what? It, that... ah, I see what you mean, Dan. The river's near here, isn't it? That's what I was thinking. Okay. We'll call the harbor patrol and see what we get. So Riley had finally bulldogged into something. The walk down to the river was short. Shorter than the last time, it seemed. The police tug was stirring the mud of the river bottom with its grappling hook. When Payne's body finally came up, the dirty water cascaded from the blanket shroud and the sash weights dripped mud. Well, that's that, boys. Payne didn't run away at all. Somebody killed him. I think we can wrap this one up fast. How'd you figure that, Knight? Well, it's easy, Mark. The girl had a fight with him. She's the only one seen going in the other night. Her prints are on the window. She probably killed him, dressed up in his clothes, made it look like he was leaving, then came back and dumped the body. It's the girl, all right. But, Ma but listen, this, this Taylor girl couldn't carry a big guy like that. Couldn't she? She was in the ambulance service overseas, Mark, and carried soldiers around. Civilians aren't any heavier. I'm putting out a pickup on the girl. Well, that's the way it was. I had an out, but it was the one out I didn't want. I didn't want the chair getting Morgan Taylor. Not when I wanted her. I'd have to fix it some way. I had to go home and think. Well, I hadn't been there long when... Morgan stood in the doorway, her eyes tired and frightened, her face white. She went past me without speaking and over to a chair. When she looked at me, I knew I was right. I had to find some way to save her. Mark, I just heard. They want me for the murder of Ken. I know, honey. Well, why did you come here? Why? Why, because... Where else would I go, Mark? But you, you're not forgetting that I'm a cop, too. I... If you want to take me in, Mark, I'll understand. I only want to take you one place, Morgan. And that's not headquarters. But I've... Got to take you in. Whatever you say, Mark. But I'll get you out, honey. You won't be in there long enough to remember even what it looks like.
After they booked her at headquarters, I went back to the apartment. I had to figure out some way to save her and myself. But first I had to get rid of that kit bag. If she'd seen it, everything would have been ruined. Besides, it was stupid to leave it around. Then, then I had an idea. There was one way out. That was to write this report to you, Captain Knight, and get out of the country. Then when she was freed, she could join me. She was worth running for. Only wouldn't really be running. I was walking away. Well, that's that. So long, Captain Knight. I won't be seeing you. I picked up the kit bag with Payne's name on the side, went down the steps. Hello, Mark. Riley, what? I think I got a lead on the girl, and I thought you'd want to be in on the kill. But I... I got it, Dan. I just turned her in. What? Well, where'd you find it? What's the bag? Mark? Oh, nothing, Dan. Nothing. I... Kendall I... Payne. Mark. Look, I found it. Where? In... in his apartment. I was there yesterday, and we were all there today. Look, what's the matter? You think I'm lying? I... I don't know, Mark. What time were you at Payne's the other night? Look, Dan, I got something to do. Look, we'll talk about this case later, huh? Wait a minute, Mark. That cab driver picked out your picture as well as Payne's. The old lady said she'd seen you. Maybe they knew what they were talking about. Listen. You weren't surprised when we found those sash weights gone, or even when you saw Payne's body dragged out of the river. Oh, there's nothing worse than a cop who's turned bad. Mark. Get out of my way, Dan. Mark, Mark. I had to run. Everything had been crowding in all day. That cab driver, the old lady, the kit bag. And now Riley, pushing in like a bulldog with his questions. I had to run and keep running. I had to get away before he could ask another question. Mark, don't run, Mark, don't! Ah, ah. Oh, you... You shouldn't have run, Mark. You know what happens. When a guy runs. Thank you, Ray Milan, for a splendid performance. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy show. We feature old time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y. And Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. 
find archive podcasts of The Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.